What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jared Magazine, your neighborly normal guy with a lazy eye here chatting with a much cooler individual who I think has a much more interesting story. Today's guest is the one and only Chris Rudiger. Chris is a Boston born and raised country music artist living out in Nashville, Tennessee. He grew up just outside of Boston in Concord, Mass., uh, chased his dream as a country music artist, moving to Nashville, getting his degree at Vandy in economics, and all while booking his own gigs, getting out in the music scene in Nashville. And now this guy is ready to take the shows on the road. Now that we're here, post-pandemic, shows are opening up, places are opening up. He's actually coming out here to New England this July. So if you're here in the New England area, I know Boston is one of our top listening cities. Be sure to go check him out. But an all-time interview, we actually hit it off right away, and we have a lot of plans now, and I have to move my calendar around to meet all the things that we have uh, promised to do together. (laughs) But a great interview. I'm super excited to share this story. So without further ado, please enjoy the one and only Chris Rudiger. This is the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast, a true eye-opening experience. All right, everybody, coming to the show this week is Boston-born country singer Chris Rudiger. Since moving out to Nashville, Chris has really found quite the calling and quite the following with over 500,000 social media fans, a new single, Here to Talk, and uh, Till It Wasn't, out now. We've got plenty to talk about on this show today. So, Chris, thank you so much for coming on, man. How are you? Thanks for having me, Jared. I'm, I'm pumped to be here, man. This is, this is going to be great. This is going to be good. So I had to say Boston born and raised because um, that's how everyone says it around here, right? Like, but you come from a town of Concord, Massachusetts, which is about, for all my non-Boston people, it's about 25, 30 minutes away from the city. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about growing up in the Rudiger household and and kind of what life was like there? Absolutely. So yeah, so I grew up in Concord about 30 minutes outside the city and my family, none of them are musical. They're all, they're all from a business background. My mom works at a clothing store and does some marketing. And my dad uh, works in Boston and does a lot of like business practice stuff. So I grew up, had a pretty normal life, like played uh, sports and uh, was exposed to, you know, the every normal day activities that a middle school or elementary school kid would have. Um, but in, in middle school, I picked up a guitar. So mm-hmm. that was when the first time I really was exposed to playing music. And my dad just bought it for me as, as a gift for Christmas but I started getting on YouTube and learning covers and that was how I got my start. And I can talk more about that uh, as we move forward, but, but Conquer was great, man. It was like, it was nice because it it wasn't in the city. So I had my own like group of friends and and family that was really, you know, just supportive uh, and giving me a normal childhood. But at the same time, we could take a train in and go see a Red Sox game or a Celtics game, which was very nice. So. Right. I lived in, well, I, when I first moved to Massachusetts from college, I lived in Woburn, Mass. So like kind of the similar vibe of Concord. It's like 30 minutes outside. I mean, Woburn is this like, it's actually a huge city, apparently. Like, I didn't know this. It's like one of the larger towns in Massachusetts. There's just nothing to do out there. (laughs) It's like very, like, it's very quintessential town in New England or like town in Massachusetts that isn't a big city. But right. there's like a Chick-fil-A and like, that's the biggest thing out there. It's hey, like, that's better than us. We, we have no Chick-fil-A's in Concord. It was always, there's a Dunkin' Donuts at the end of my street. So that yeah. was the one, the one place I always went to before school. But That was like my one way of getting my friends who lived closer to the city to come hang out with me. I was like, well, we can get Chick-fil-A after. 
whatever. There were souls on there right away, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but so kind of going off like what family meant to you, one of my, like one of the most wholesome TikToks that I saw on your page, and it wasn't necessarily a viral one, was just one of you talking about how you were you're doing some TikTok content creation and you got a text from your sister saying like, hey, what's up? Just wanted to catch up. And like, you kind of came to a realization that it's been like over a week since I've chatted with my sister with someone who I'm really close with. I guess like the question in here is like, how much does family mean to you and someone who's juggling? And I don't want to be like sound cliche, but like social media is your job and in content creation is a part, part of your job. Like a lot of people, maybe boomers will say like, we'll just put your phone down and call, you know, or call your loved ones. But like, what is that life like balancing that act and trying to stay connected with your family out here in Massachusetts? Yeah, you know, it's been it's been difficult a lot lately because I, I live in Nashville now and I'm here probably about 10 months of the year. And I might I have been booking some shows every summer. We've gone back for about a month to play shows. And that was my time to see family, which was great. Obviously, this past year with the pandemic, it was very difficult to book anything. So right. I didn't have that same experience. But growing up, I was incredibly close to my family and uh, we we always did stuff together. My brother was a year older than me. And so we played baseball and soccer together and had very similar friends. Uh, and so it was, it was just always a very good support system for me. And so I think coming down here, and I've been in Nashville for about four years now. So leaving Concord was tough just because I had never spent more than probably a week or two weeks away from home. So right. that was the first time where I was really out on my own and like, okay, this is, you know, this is, this is me without, without that, that rock behind me. And I still, you know, I, I make an effort to call them and, and FaceTime them as much as possible. And I'm very grateful for technology for that, you know, and, and, and cell phones for that reason. But yeah, man, I was just the past couple months, I've been going through uh, this realization where I'm so busy, whether that's uh, making content or recording songs or writing uh, photo shoots on the road. I mean, there's so many things that we do as artists in behind the surface that I think a lot of people maybe don't realize how much time it takes. Right. And so I don't necessarily have the time to call my mom or my sister for an hour every day because I'm, I'm busy doing other stuff or they, they are as well. So I had one of those realizations the other day and I was like, you know what, I haven't, I haven't talked to them in a week and, and we're really close, my sister and I. So I, I said, you know what, I'll pick up and call her. And we had a great chat. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it's only going to ramp up, especially for these independent artists who really have like, hit the ground running since the pandemic and have created this massive social media following. And now it's like the sky's the limit, right? So like you were saying, work has been getting more and more busy. It's not just like posting a TikTok from your bedroom or like, you know, putting out a song. It's now like, you know, you're going back on the road here soon. So it's only going to get more busy. Like how do you try to plan on staying in contact with your family more? So with this, with 2021 kind of revamping in, in the music world. Right. I mean, you're right. I mean, if I was at home for a couple hours making a few TikTok videos, and then right. I could I could pick it up and talk to them for a little bit, you know, if I had the opportunity. But especially with like being on the road and, and, and oftentimes I'm working like late night shows mm -hmm. and my, my parents and family work day jobs. So I might not be calling them at 11 p.m. because they're probably asleep. Right you know, my line of work, I'm, I'm up pretty late. So it's <laughs> definitely hard to like find the time. But you know, I think, you know, like anything, like just if people mean a lot to you, whether that's family or friends, you know, or whatever relationship you have with someone, there's, there's, there's going to be some time. It's just a matter of scheduling around it and trying to balance like, okay, I know I have some content this morning, but I'm going to block out 30 minutes to, to talk to them and then I'll come back in the afternoon or something like that. 
Yeah, you got to get that call in before your Saturday morning or your Sunday morning because even even out in Nashville, it's an hour behind Boston. If they call you at 9 a.m. Boston. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm not a morning person. I mean, <laughs> I have to have like two cups of coffee. Otherwise, I'm a zombie. So when I get a call from them at 9 in the morning and it's 8 and I'm, I'm crawling out of bed, I'm like – I'm like, you know, I can't talk right now. So Dude, my parents live out in, in Salt Lake City, Utah, and they'll call me at 11 Boston time on a Sunday. And like, I don't know what it is in my tone of voice or whatever. Like when I pick up the phone to my dad, he'll always say like, oh, did I wake you? And like most of the time it's yes, but it's like, I don't want to act like that. So I'm like, no, no. Like, what made you think that? He's like, oh, you just sound like you're half asleep. I was like, okay, then call me at like noon or one o'clock. <laughs> That's so funny that your dad does that because my dad does the same thing. He's like, Chris, it sounds like you're just getting out of bed. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? I've, I've, I've made breakfast. I've been to the gym. And meanwhile, I'm like still in my underwear. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So Boston has its country scene, right? Uh, but it's nothing like Nashville or down in the South or even like Florida, right? How did you even get into enjoying country? And then ultimately, as you started playing music, like wanting to really start singing and performing country? country yeah that that's a great question because i think there is sometimes a misconception that the northeast is uh, not into country music or it's not as big of a scene right i will say you know growing up at first i was exposed to a lot of different genres of music through my dad my dad is a big music lover and he actually had a playlist of about ten thousand songs now i don't know whether he got it legally or not um, was he this, a big LimeWire guy back in the day? This was at the time of like, you know, Napster and yeah, yeah, yeah. potentially other uh, downloading sources that I have yet to ask him about. But <laughs> you know, we would go on road trips and like he would play anything from the Eagles and Rolling Stones yeah. Yeah. to Dave Matthews Band and the script uh, and Ed Sheeran when he came along, John Mayer, all this stuff. And country was always kind of a part of that collection. So I listened to like Paisley, Garth Brooks and Kenny Chesney, but not, you know, not more than any other artist at the time. Right. Well, uh, a couple stations in New England came along, uh, 102.5 and 101.7 The Bull, who are mm. both great stations, good friends of mine. And they started uh, playing a lot of country music. And we saw acts like Kenny Chesney come up and play Gillette Stadium. And I think a lot of people grew interest because of that. Uh, and saw that, oh, there are country acts coming up here for summer festivals. Radio stations are getting behind it. And it slowly, I think, has grown in the past 10 years where actually New England's a pretty attractive market for a lot of artists that are from the South or uh, Midwest. So that's definitely been something that's been cool to watch because even my dad, who has been around longer than I have, has witnessed that transformation. Whereas for me, I kind of grew up and was just exposed to it more rapidly. Uh, And so- it's been it's been great, man. I love to see country up in New England. Yeah, it, well, first before we before we jump into the country music scene up here, like I think the the dad playlist thing cracks me up because my dad has a similar vibe of music. It was all like my dad was born in 1956. Sorry okay. to, to count out his age here. He's definitely going to call me out, but uh, <laughs> like it was all like 60s and 70s rock and roll, some 80s, but like mostly 60s and 70s. Right? So like whenever he listened to music, there was like very few songs when it was on. Uh, the radio station out in California because he would turn up like, oh this one oh this one and like it wasn't my style of music but I just kind of like remembered it and then so now when I start driving him around I actually like four years ago I created a playlist literally called when dad's in the car and they were actually out here in Boston this past weekend and I just threw it on hit shuffle I knew he was gonna like every single song but he's right. like like four or five songs in he's like you could see like the head nod you know like dad's like you know he's five and he's like Wait, what what station is this? I'm like, dad, no, I created this playlist for you. And he's like, 
wow, this is cool. <laughs> I did it legally on Spotify, but your dad's 10,000 playlist songs. Sounds interesting. That's awesome. You know what? I feel like the, 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 the dad nod of approval is, oh. that, that's a staple, you know? I'm I'm very familiar with that. Especially so. music. Especially, like, because I was so sick and tired of him. Like, I would listen to good songs, but like, it just wasn't his thing. Like, you know what I mean? So he'd be like, who is this? What is this? And I was like, all right, sorry, it's not Earth, Wind & Fire. I'm sorry it's not, you know, Benny King. Like, I, like, I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Yeah, that's, you know, what's cool too is like my dad grew up for the 70s and 80s. And so he has that whole arsenal of music that he showed me. And actually a lot of them I, I draw inspiration from. I mean, mm. I've listened to Bob Dylan. I've listened to uh, Bob Seger. I've listened to Tom Petty, you know, the whole, like a bunch of like a lot of rock acts. Sure. And what's cool is uh, now like he's shifted into the modern phase where we're actually sharing artists and like he's giving me his take on when Sam Hunt first came out or, you know, yeah. uh, Cody Johnson or like some country artist, and, I, and I'm placing my picks on who I like. And so we now have this relationship where we're able to share music with each other. But, you know, he still exposed me to a lot of stuff that I'm very grateful for because some of those rock songs, man, they are, they are awesome. Dude. Oh, they're, they're, they're some of the, they're some of the best, if not the best, like Billy Joel's greatest hits. I mean, like Earth, Wind & Fire, you could listen to any oh song by that. And it's incredible. My dad is kind of stuck in his ways. Love him to death. But like, like we'll be like oh like we watched the grammys this weekend he'll be like i have no idea who any of these people are i'm like okay that's fine you know what i mean like do you you know what i mean right right <laughs> but going off of the boston country scene like you bring up a good point i think it's a, it, it can be classified sometimes as a summer thing right like zach brown band always does now a show on, on fenway in the summer and like that's incredible show i i still want to go i haven't been but i've heard only good things about it but now like i'm just driving into the city a couple days a week now and seeing like Kane Brown's coming in November. Luke Combs is coming in December. So like, I don't know if like it was a weather thing out here originally, like why people started liking country in the warmer weather, but now it feels like it's more than just, oh, like we can turn on country now that it's, you know, May, June, July, August. Right. I, I think, I think you're right. I mean, I, I assume, you know, country music is, is very much summer music. Everyone loves oh. A, a, you know a cookout or a festival outside. And so I think that's why a lot of acts were drawn to, you know, Fenway or Xfinity, but I think having the stations back country music year round and there being venues that are open, like, you know, the Bruins or, or uh, the Celtics at the TD garden, like they're on the road sometimes. And so yeah. that's opportunities for artists like a Kane Brown or a Brad Paisley to come up and play a show and right. people are itching for it now because they're not just exposed to it as a one-off thing. And like granted a summer festival might be something to look forward to, but you're still hearing country music in the winter. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I give that, that's a testament to me to the venues for working and wanting to get more acts up there. And I think also the stations that are behind it as well are, have done a great job. Agreed. Have you been, have you been or heard about Stagecoach out in like Palm Springs? Uh, I've heard about it. I haven't been yet now. I feel like that'd totally be your scene. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I, I think I need to go and I assume it's, maybe it's not happening this year, but maybe next year. So. Yeah. I, you know what? I'm gonna, I'll book, I'll book a trip there. I'll have to, we should go, dude. We should do it. All right, let's, let's do it. Let's book it. We'll do it. <laughs> calendar right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm down. Like if we get tickets now, we're probably, we'll probably be good, but it, right. it'll sell out quick. <laughs> we'll get, we got, we got to get them before they either shoot through the roof and price or they sell out. So, so it's, it's, I like, I have friends that have gone. I haven't been personally like growing up in orange County. Like it was like the thing to do for spring break, either Coachella or stagecoach. It's, yeah. you know, it's you know two weekends of Coachella, two weekends of stagecoach, and I still can't figure out like which one looked better. But I'm like I've really started to enjoy country music more than like 
the EDM headache, which I don't mind it, but I just like sometimes, you know, for a weekend, you're like, oh boy, like I really need some Advil. Country music, I feel like you could <laughs> rub and top it a little bit more. I agree. I agree. I think it's cool. Like some of the festivals, like uh, like Bonnaroo, yeah, have country acts on the bill. Like I think Casey Musgraves and Chris Stapleton played two years ago. Mm-hmm. They also have EDM acts and hip hop acts, and so like that way, if you'd start to get a little bit annoyed with, you know, maybe the EDM stuff, you can jump on over. And there's like oftentimes multiple stages running. Right. Different tents. Yeah, exactly. You know, choose your genre and go there. And when you've had enough, you can kind of bounce to the next, you know? Right. Right. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I agree. So when do you, when did you feel like you really wanted to make music your career? Was it at a point more recently, or was it like in high school, you had dreams of, you know, after picking up the guitar or doing the piano lessons as a kid, like that's what I want to do. So I, in high school, I played soccer and baseball and those are my two sports. And, and at the time I had just been playing guitar off of YouTube videos in my room. And uh, my dad, who again, has been a huge supporter uh, of, of music and, and, and saw that I think I had an interest in it, but knew that I didn't play live, mm-hmm. signed me up for an open mic. And so the first time, that I ever played was at a local cafe, probably 50, 100 people. And uh, I was like 20 years younger than everyone else. Right, yeah. Grant, this is not Chris at six foot three, but this is Chris at five foot five or five four with a voice like two octaves higher. And <laughs> he signed me up. I was like, dad, I'm not doing this. This is insane. Uh, but I got through it and I loved, I loved performing live. Like that was the first mm-hmm. time I'd done it. And I don't think if he hadn't pushed me, I don't, I probably would have maybe fell into it a little bit later, but at least not in the moment. So that sort of created a little bit of tension, I guess, between the normal high school life of playing sports that I had with Mm -hmm. going out and playing gigs. And eventually I started realizing a friend of mine introduced me to an agency up in New England that was able to book me shows for two, three hours and I'd make a couple hundred bucks. I was like, whoa, okay, this is not only is this what I like to do, but I make money at it coolest summer job you know, <laughs> side hustle during school ever right. um, so I started doing that toward the end of high school and that was kind of I think probably like my senior year was was when I really was actively playing a couple nights a week and at that time I realized all right I probably should end up in a city that uh, has a pretty vibrant music scene whether that's staying in Boston or going to going to Nashville and yeah. I we can talk more about my move, but, uh, but yeah, man, that was, that was sort of probably the first time I realized like, all right, this maybe is more than just a hobby. Let's, let's see if we can take this to the next level. Yeah. I think, I think it's always like the senior year in high school, junior, senior year when people are like, whether it's like fully commit to sports and and try and pursue that in college, pursue music, post-grad, whatever. But like, I mean, nothing is better than making a couple hundred bucks in the summer. (laughs) It was awesome, dude. Because like all my friends were like scooping ice cream or working yeah. at the restaurant or clothing store, and you know they were having fun and making money. But like for me, it was like, all right, I can just play a couple nights a week and have my friends come and listen to it, and we jam out, and you know maybe we go to someone's house after and do an after party or whatever. But like that was the life, man. Like it was, it was great. I love it. I love it. So I guess kind of going off kind of the point you made earlier, was the plan always to get out of Boston? for your style of music and country, or maybe when you started to really like pursue country and go to Nashville, or did you ever feel like, Hey, I can stick it out in Boston. I want to, I want to keep it homegrown quote unquote and try and do it here. I think, uh, I I definitely wanted to leave new England because I had been there all throughout high school and I didn't have other experiences. And so 
for me, I thought maybe at first it was like, all right, go maybe to school and play music elsewhere. And then you can come back to Boston after kind of thing. But as I started looking at schools, because my parents uh, are, they, they really wanted me to have an education. And so they were encouraging me to apply to college, they, you know, and, and attend for something, whether that, you know, was tied into music or in a music city is one thing, but they wanted right. me to. So I stumbled across, uh, you know, Vanderbilt in Nashville. And that was like the perfect mix. It was like, all right, there's a school for academics. Uh, I'm in Nashville. Like, I love country music. This is what I'm playing. Like, where else am I going to get that perfect mix? And so that was ultimately how I ended up coming down to Nashville. Um, but man, it's, it's weird. I miss it. I, I still love coming back to Boston and it's definitely hard not being there for as long as I was, but you know what? I think I'm in the right place. So. Yeah, I think you are too, but do you, do you have a, a favorite spot that you maybe miss about performing in Boston? Is there like a, a like oh, yeah. best spot here? I think uh, I, one of my favorite spots is Loretta's last call mm. next to Fenway, a big country bar that like, I remember playing uh, right after a Sox game with my band and we'd start at like, you know, 10 o'clock, maybe the game gets out at 10 yeah. to like 1am. And I was loving every moment, dude. I didn't care if I was getting back at like two 30 in the morning because those were the nights to remember. So I was going to say that Uber back from Fenway to Concord must've been pretty brutal. And a little pricey. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, luckily I had a, I had a couple, I have some friends that live in the Boston area. So sometimes okay. if I was playing the Reddit, I could be like, Hey, you, you mind if I just crash on your couch tonight and yeah. in the morning kind of thing. So, That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I when when I was in, when I was living in Uber and like the Uber back now, nowadays, I don't know if Nashville is having this problem, but here in Boston, you, you cannot get an Uber. I don't know what Ubers it is. Are, but Ubers are insanely expensive, man. They used to be like 10 bucks maybe to like for you know a couple miles away and now they're like 30 40 dollars at a minimum let alone sometimes you can't get them like you'll nope. say picking you up in half an hour or yeah. not in the area kind of thing yeah they're like on a like i'm in i'm in the north end and it's like uber's unavailable and i was like what yeah. <laughs> like how how do i get home <laughs> yeah because I I mean, i'm not taking the tea yeah <laughs> So in the North End, you're, you're probably familiar with like uh, Faneuil Hall and oh, Bellingham yeah, yeah. and some of those spots as well. So we, I, I, I played there a lot uh, too. I actually street performed at, at Faneuil Hall for a, couple, for a couple of years in high school as well. So Oh, wow. That, that was kind of nice. My, my plan would be like, I'd go, to, I'd go to Faneuil Hall, play for a couple hours, and then there's this uh, great marketplace. It's right next to Bell and Hand. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the Boston, Boston Public Market. Public Market, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would go there. And I'd always get, there was this like one donut that the <laughs> shop had. It was, dude, it had like chocolate and like, like whipped cream-ish kind of frosting. It was like, it was like a Boston cream, but like on steroids. Yeah, yeah. I always would go there after and then like take that and, and on the ride home. I love it. You, oh, have I, to, you have to have Cane's donuts. Have you had Cane's donuts out here? I have, yes. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Those are quite good. <laughs> the best, the best. That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, like, how did you, how did you beat out the, like the street performers and like the circus acts of Faneuil Hall? <laughs> that is hard man some of, those, some of those magicians and like guys that are on like throwing knives up and throwing knives i'm like dude i'm just sitting here playing like a cover song and you're doing yeah. you know yeah fighting um, for tips <laughs> dude it was it was wild but i will say like one thing about street performing that uh i'm really grateful for is it pushes you to develop your act and entertaining a crowd more so yeah. than it's like your technical ability to sing or play guitar. So for me, it was less so of like, uh, you know, 
I missed a note here in this course, but like, how do I captivate someone's attention within 15 seconds? Because that's all the time that I have when they walk right. by. And so I started calling people out and I started doing like mashups of songs together and trying to put my own twist on songs because I really needed, I needed them to engage in 15 seconds. Otherwise they might just continue on with their day. So I, you know, I think that part of it really helped me like touch up on my performing performance. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. So you're out in Nashville now. You're actually wrapping up at Vanderbilt University yes. uh, this this weekend. You're graduating. Yeah, right? I'm graduating this Saturday. Pretty. There you uh, go. There you fun. go. And you and you kind of touched on it before and like having your parents, you know, wanting you to get that college education. You actually are getting a degree in economics. So like, Correct. was there, was this like a plan B or was this like, I have to do this to satisfy my parents' wishes, but I want to pursue music full-time. Like, how did you juggle like an economics degree and doing gigs on the side and late nights, you know, performing and all that fun stuff? Uh, a lot of, a lot of coffee. <laughs> That's <laughs> the answer of it. Um, you know, I, again, like senior year, I was really starting to, uh, of high school, senior of high school, I was yeah. really starting to perform. And that was when my parents were like, okay, you know, we understand you're passionate about music. You can go to a school that either has a music program or uh, is in a music city, but we still also want you to get a degree in something else. And so for me, like, I'm actually grateful that they, they sent me to Vanderbilt because, or they encouraged me to apply for Vanderbilt because that gave me sort of a normal college experience. And I have a lot of great friends outside the industry and I'm very, and I'm grateful that I'm able to talk about whatever, you know, whatever with them. It's not just, yeah. Um, yeah. but I will say like once getting to Nashville, I fell in love with the music scene so quickly. And I started playing writer's rounds and meeting any person tied to the industry I could, because it's such a relationship driven industry, right? It's all about right. shaking hands. And that started to take a toll as I was finishing up my degree because the past two years, like I might be out until, you know, midnight playing a show or meeting some friends, you know, for a writer's round. And then I got to go back and study for a test and wake up at seven or eight and take the test. So yeah. uh, the last two years, I, you know, I have not gotten much sleep, um, <laughs> but I, I, it's, it's all great, man. I mean, like, I, like I said, I had my college experience that I will never take for granted and then you know to still be able to be here and now pursuing music is is a blessing so yeah and i feel like you don't have to fight as much as as for like the guy with the guitar on the quad as you do at like a belmont or something at vanderbilt so like i feel like yeah talk about more that normal college experience i feel like belmont is very much a normal college experience but it's like not everyone there is battling for to be you know the next big country artist it's funny dude because like I had a bunch of friends at Belmont and so I'd go over there and we might jam outside or, you know, they had like this little cafe slash uh, performance area. So I get up and play a song and um, I'd go over there and play and everyone just kind of, it was normal. There was no, no one was coming up to me or anything. It was, it was just a Belmont student must know how to play guitar. Right. Yeah. Well, I get the next, you know, (laughs) and I get back to Vanderbilt and like, you know, I'd set up outside and just like be jamming in the courtyard. And a bunch of people would come up and be like, whoa, like, you, you play music? That's that's insane. Like, we don't know anyone at Vanderbilt. So in some ways, it was cool because a lot of my friends really got behind what I was doing since I was the only one or right. one of very few at Vanderbilt doing it. So I love that. I love that. So let's fast forward a little bit here. In 2020, you and Ashley Cook, another uh, Nashville country artist, co-founded 
the 615 house. So it's, it's essentially, and you, you, this was your quote. This was not mine. Uh, it's essentially a hype house for country music artists. Uh, but uh, can you kind of take us through how you guys came up with that idea and maybe like how you brought it to life, really? Like it's it more than just like we bought a house and that's, a, you know, that's it. Like how did, how did this 615 house come to be? Yeah, so uh, it really actually started because of the pandemic. And mm-hmm. I think the 615 house for all of us has been the silver lining of what has been a very difficult year. But many of us had shows booked last summer and that those got canceled. And so a lot of us resorted to social media and this new platform called TikTok was taking off at the time. And, you know, I jumped on and Ashley jumped on and we posted a couple of videos that started to get some traction. And so at that point, we sort of looked at each other and said, whoa, all right, this is cool. Like we're finding a way to grow our fan base and also can stay connected to those that have supported us. Mm -hmm. What if we brought in other artists that were also doing the same thing and posting videos and releasing music. And we created a, a house that was not a band of any kind, but just a house where everyone's individual artistry was appreciated and then cross promoted so that, you know, everyone was helping each other out. And I think that's something that Nashville is actually really strong at is there's a lot of people that work together and write songs. And, and, and so we just were trying to take that idea and kind of put it in a digital space. So in August of 2020, we launched the house. Uh, it was uh, us two and six other acts, one of which was a duo, um, the Tiger Lily Girls, who are amazing. Mm-hmm. And we got a house together and started creating content. And within the first couple of weeks, we saw, you know, some pretty big growth on TikTok and, and Instagram. And uh, it just, it's from there, man, it's been a blast. And like, I, I had known most of the folks, uh, or some of the folks, I, there was a couple I hadn't met before the project started. Right. You know, when I tell you, like, these are some of the best people in town, like I, I fully support them and what they're doing artistically, but I also consider them friends now and like, we'll hang out. And there's a lot of stuff we do off camera that is just really nice to, to know that they're genuine people too. Right. And I, and I know there is that aspect that like the fans don't see from the, you know, from the TikToks and it must be like, kind of like almost heartwarming or like rewarding in a sense that like you've created this family during a global pandemic of people that have the same passion as you have the same drive as you have similar goals as you that, you know, maybe you would have never met or been like in this type of situation if it wasn't for a global pandemic. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's been great. I mean, for us, like, like I said, we're, we're all family now and what's cool is I think we're giving people all across the country, if not worldwide, mm-hmm. a chance to engage with us and look, and look forward to something. I mean, when we get messages from people saying that, you know, the last video really spoke to them or, or recommending new songs, we love engaging with the people that choose to follow us and be in our community. So like that has been really cool to see. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, these are just, you know, we created some pretty cool friendships and like, I get, you know, like I said, that's the silver lining of what has been a very difficult year for, for all of us not being able to be on the road. Absolutely. So there's, there's no question that this app called TikTok, you know, somehow blew up and it has helped many artists with their career. We've had Spencer Crandall on the show who really raves about it and basically credits a lot of it, you know, of his success to the app. And then Dylan Brady, similar sense, two guys that you've had at the house as well, but yeah. have you, how have you seen the fans on TikTok where you're getting millions of views a week with your guys's content translate to the apps like Spotify, Apple music, where people are actually going to find your music. Right. So I, I think that 
that was a question that everyone was wondering as a lot of people were getting hundreds of thousands of followers. Right. All right. Does this mean that new music is going to translate? Right. And at first, I think a lot of people were skeptical. But I will say, man, there are some really, really loyal supporters on TikTok that have taken the extra step of streaming Spotify music or Apple music and sharing it to other social media platforms. And I've seen a lot of these artists that as they grow on TikTok, well, the conversion rate might not be that every single follower is streaming their music. I mean, that's pretty hard. Yeah. You, I mean, no one, no one can afford that. No, like but, I don't care if you're Justin Bieber, if like, if you're the Joe Rogan podcast, whatever you are, like that's just, that doesn't happen. People like the short form content of the snippet of whatever you did. You know what I mean? Like that just happens. Yeah, exactly. It's the way it goes. But I will say, man, like there have been a lot of people that have uh, found me on TikTok and have decided that they want to stream my music on whatever platform they choose. And I am incredibly grateful for that and their support. And it's cool to start to have that collective fan base, you know, ride behind you. I think what's going to be particularly interesting is to watch as the country reopens and live music comes back is does this convert to strong ticket sales? Are people that are following us, do they really want to come out and see our shows? And I, you know, we've done a lot of live stream events and had some really strong uh, attendance and, and people get really excited about these things. But when we actually go to these hometowns, you know, we, we hope that we get to meet all of them and that people really want to come out and see us. But that's going to be sort of the next test of this whole thing. And I'm curious to see, you know, as fellow artists and myself get back on the road, you know, what happens. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, and the, you've also had your own success on TikTok, not just from the 615 account. And I'll give you kind of the final word on this platform before we move on to another subject. Maybe end with this, right? Like what has been the, the best thing that you've seen come from the success on TikTok? And maybe what's one thing that you'd want to change about your approach specifically to the app? Oh, man. <laughs> that, look at that question i was I, I i could not prepare for that one well um, <laughs> you know I, i'll say that one of the coolest things about the platform is it um the audience sometimes has gotten behind songs and backed what i'm doing almost more so than like i believed in it and i'll, mm-hmm. I'll give you a quick example i put out a, a song called till it wasn't in february and actually my sister who has helped me on the app and has done some content with me, she posted the video and she sort of leaked a little bit of the chorus. And I actually didn't know about this at the time, oh. but that was a song. This was a song that I recorded and I said, I'm going to put it on, on the shelf and, yeah. and it, in the catalog, but maybe it comes out in a year. Maybe it just sits there. Who knows? Well, she posted the song and people really latched onto it. And then I started getting messages saying, you know, this, this course resonates to them and they love the melody and like, they want the song to come out. And so I ended up putting out that song and that's uh, that song ended up doing some, some pretty cool stuff on iTunes because of the folks on TikTok that chose to get behind the song. So that's, you know, that's, that's sort of the beauty of it is like, you're able to try stuff out and showcase music and see an, you know, an honest reaction from people of whether, you know, they like the song or not. Um, you know, I think the hard, I think the hardest part about TikTok is, uh, is just the constant, um, the constant need to, to be active and post music because it, or, or content because it's so saturated. And I think yeah. like I was talking about, like it's, it, it can take up a lot of time and I don't want to be known as, as just a TikTok guy that, you know, spends five hours in his room every day or, or whatever in his car making TikToks. But right. like, 
that's something that people, people love content and people and, and, and constantly new people are scrolling through the feed. So there's an opportunity to continue to expand your fan base at any waking moment. Right. Yeah. But at some point, you know, you have to take a step back and say, all right, you know, how much time do I invest in this? And, and also it's important to me to like maintain relationships with those that, that have followed me. And I don't want to seem as just someone that's climbing the ladder to just continue to get more followers while that's great or, or fans. But like, I actually care about the people that are supporting the releases of songs. And so, you know, I think sometimes just stepping back and like taking the time to, to really make sure you're interacting with those that have decided to join your family is important. Absolutely. And uh, you bring up a good point. I think the consistency that the app kind of makes people crave is like, obviously it's addictive, right? Like you can find yourself being the type of person that scrolls on it for an hour and you've lost track of time, but it's like from the creator's perspective, like how much content can I possibly put out? And even if like, I'm a country music artist, I'm I'm not, you are, but like, (laughs) you know, I'm putting out my music, I'm putting out my friend's reaction to it in the car. I'm putting out like, and then like, what if I want to put like, oh, like come with me on a six mile jog or whatever. Or like, this is what I do when I'm not doing music. And then like the, the following just like, it just doesn't resonate. Like you have to sometimes like, at least I've seen it with content creators is like, if you're not sticking with your niche, then like people fall off quick. Yeah. I think, you know, I think that's, I think that's a great point, man. Um, you sometimes you get caught into a trap where like you have to post a certain thing and the, and the stuff that you want to share, whether that's lifestyle videos or interest of yours don't do as well. And so there's less of an incentive because granted a lot of people look at the, you know, viewership and in popularity of videos, right. It's tough. And, and, but you know, what I've tried to do is, is through other, other platforms like, like Instagram where you're able to to share photos and, and, and write like kind of longer captions. I've tried to like keep people engaged in, what I'm going through personally, mm-hmm. um, or whether that's hopping on a live stream and like talking to people for half an hour about my week and asking them questions about where they're from and theirs kind of thing is, is cool. So, yeah, absolutely. So diving into your music here, we'll take a break from the TikTok. I know I hit you with that, that hammer of a question. <laughs> like you hit me like crazy with it, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so you released uh, till it wasn't back in February. And more recently you released here to talk with uh, Frank Leger Yep. What make what made you pumped about these songs? We talked a little bit about uh, till it wasn't and kind of the story of that, but maybe what's what has made you pumped about this recent release of uh, Here to Talk? Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, you know, I, I, I touched base a little bit about till it wasn't, but just incredibly grateful for the people that have gotten behind it and the people that still are streaming the song. Like, yeah, nothing as as an independent artist, I don't think anything excites us more than seeing videos of people like in their car or at a, at a tailgate or something jamming to your music. So for everyone that's listened to it and shared it, I, I appreciate it. But, you know, I think Here to Talk was cool because it's a little bit of a step away from maybe the traditional country and it, it moves into kind of more of a pop uh, or almost like soft EDM feel. And uh, I've always wanted to kind of test the boundaries of like where I am as an artist. And this was a project that we in quarantine were just writing one day and, you know, like, man, it'd be really cool to put out a collaboration together. That's a little bit off of sort of the straight path of, of traditional, you know, typical country. And so, uh, this is sort of my first step into that, I guess, pop world. And it's been cool. Like, it's just, a, it's a fun dance song, man. Like, I think the melodies are super catchy and Frank's a really supportive guy. We've known each other for a couple of years now and he's, produced a lot of other songs that I've put out. Um, so this was just a chance for us to kind of 
you know, have fun doing something maybe different than our, our typical, uh, you know, kind of style of music. It's a, it's a bob, dude. I mean, like I was listening to it on the, on the way to pick up my parents to the airport before my dad was like, what is this? Uh, <laughs> before I had to flip over to the other playlist, but dude, yeah, actually, the, the, the pre-made uh, playlist. Yeah. 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 So you got to hit shuffle and whatever comes on. You, you play that at like volume 10 too. You're like, okay, you're, you're not going to listen to this, but you'll, you'll, he's the type of guy that touches my controls when he, when I'm driving, I hate that. Oh, oh yeah. Man. When you're driving, you're, it's, you're on control duty, right? I mean, that's the way it works. Oh, or the AC too. Mm. Anyways, back to your music. Back to your music. That song is incredible. And I, I do like that you talk about jumping from the traditional country route, you know, or country pop, right? Like the more mainstream country now is a little bit, a little bit more poppy than like the Brad Paisley's and whatnot of like the nineties country. But like to have the confidence to say, you know what, like, I'm not just a country artist. This is also what I can do is also really impressive, I think. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. And like I said, you know, that's not, and by no means was that a departure from country music. Right. <laughs> you know, we're, we're working on some new country projects right now, but it was just a fun song. We're like, this is a cool, you know, this is a cool tune. We want to do something with it. And hopefully people will jam to it this summer with their windows down or dancing at a party. So I love it. I love it. So, all right. A little bit of a heavier question here too. Uh, you've, you're used to being playing a hundred shows a year, if not more, Hopefully we're getting back to that in 2021. We've talked about that success you've gotten on social media and some of the streams that you've gotten from your own music, but how does Chris define success? Wow, we are getting to the hard, hard question. Um, we'll get to the easier ones at the end, I promise you. Okay, all right. Um, no, that's, that's a great question because it's something that I think about most days. And for me, you know, I do... I. I love the aspect of music that is all centered around live performance and particularly playing my own songs live. So for me, success is being able to go on the road and have some music and, and play it and have people react to it and sing back or uh, share, you know, those moments with friends and family. But that's really why I do it. I think music is, and again, this is going to sound maybe a little bit fluffy, but I really do think that music is like a universal uh, language to like connect people. 100%. And so like when I'm playing a show, you know, it's, it's awesome to just have a crowd of people all together, just jamming in, in, in being invested in, you know, the good times that are, that come with that. So for me, I would say success, man, is just, you know, as many people, you know, as many people as I can reach on the road and get to meet, um, and as many people that, you know, invest in my original music and, and, and come out to these shows and support me is, 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 is the goal. And, uh, you know, the difference that I can make, whether that's just one concert one night or, you know, a long-term relationship, which I, I encourage and, and love to have with people that have decided to invest in, in what we're doing here. Um, you know, that, that, that to me is success. So. Yeah. It sounds like you're just itching to get back on the road. Like I think I, I, I love that like the independent artists have grown so much of a following on social media, but there's going to be nothing better than, you know, translating that to live shows and live performances. Dude, I, I cannot wait, man. My band, my band has been texting me like no joke, like every day for the past two weeks. Like, Chris, when are the shows? When are the shows? We are all like, we are all so we've been pent up and we're ready to yeah. get let loose and get out. So Dude, I cannot wait. The shows are just going to pop off. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, kind of you touched on this a little bit. And obviously with your success of the 615 house, there's obviously, um, you know, collaborations and the friendships that you create, but with so much talent in Nashville, what has it been like 
trying to like we've 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 asked this question pretty much with every artist out there what has it been like for you trying to uh distance yourself from the rest but still having that like you said that core group of friends and family that are all kind of chasing that same goal yeah i mean i think um you know i think what's cool is like a lot of people in nashville that i'm friends with uh we have similar styles of music but i don't think we're necessarily all in the same lane right you know, great examples, uh, my buddy Cooper Allen, who is done tremendously well on TikTok and Instagram uh, over the past year by posting original songs and cover songs. He's a little bit more tapped into, I think, what would be a traditional uh, country lane. Uh, and just his songs are come from a different background, right? So he, you know, he has his personal experience in life and I have mine. And so for me, it's all about just being myself, writing music that you know, that, that comes from personal experience. That's, that, that feels like me, not just, you know, not just lyrically, but also like stylistically and melodically and, 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 and doing the best job I can to be myself and with my sound. And I think hopefully people are going to tap in and buy it. And that doesn't mean that a fan of Chris Rudiger can't be a friend, a fan of Cooper Allen's. And I think right. we'll get that confused, right? Like everyone has, you know, I can tell you right now, I have a list of 20 artists that I love listening to. Right. And like, I don't look at them as competing, even though they might be in the same or similar genre. So um, that's something that I guess I've, I've really tried to learn and like, or just be more aware of is, all right, I'm my own artist. Nobody else is Chris Rudiger. So why don't I just write and record what feels best to me? And hopefully people enjoy it. Uh, yeah. I, I, I didn't mean like, I don't think the Nashville scene has to be super competitive. Cause I think you bring up a good point. Like every artist is their own individual self. I think where the you know competitiveness can come is like for spots at you know on Broadway or like in the bars itself and like having those shows and like right. I just it's it's tough no matter what what you are how good you are no matter like someone's always chasing that spot for sure yeah dude I'll tell you what's been really hard too is like you know in, in this pandemic as we're seeing shows come back a lot of the a lot of the artists are like a list artists like mm-hmm. Luke Combs's or uh, Kane Brown's are playing smaller venues yeah. uh, there's limited capacity right right then the artists that were supposed to play those venues are then opening up for them and you start to see sort of like this tier where the the middle level artist that's just starting to get some traction that maybe would have a chance to open up for act is actually getting kind of kicked out right now or you're just constantly regardless of a pandemic competing you know, for an opening act spot. And so I think that stuff is always, is always tough, but like, you know, it's why you signed up for it, right? Why you signed up for it. Like you got it. I mean, like, I'm not going to lie. Like there's, you got it. You got to have drive and you got to have grit and like, you know, you, you have to want to do it. And, and, and I think, you know, the more relationships you make and the more uh, music you, you know, you create, the more opportunities are going to come. I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for the last maybe hard hitting question before we jump into sure. some more fun, uh, fun, um, rapid fire questions. What's maybe the one piece of advice you have for the next kid growing up in Boston or new England, looking to chase their dream in music? I love that question. Um, that's great. I would say, um, my first piece of advice is to, uh, start songwriting as soon as you can, because, that was something that I didn't really learn until I got to Nashville. I had written like a couple songs at the end of high school, but it was more nothing worthy, really. I hadn't sat down for a long period of time and consistently wrote. And right. I think 
that the more you write, the more you find out who you are as an artist, what you want to say, and, and how you want it to sound. So my first piece of advice for anyone that's interested in, in the, you know, being an artist or a songwriter is just is to write. Um, I, I, and, and then the second piece of advice that I would have is, is just be willing to take, take risks and take opportunities. I think, you know, there, it's such a relationship driven industry. And you also don't know where one connection or one opportunity is going to lead to. And, you know, when you're, when you're trying to, you know, when you're hungry and you want to, you know, you want to get out and, and achieve whatever that, that goal may be, you don't necessarily, it's not a straight path to the finish. Sometimes I know a lot of people that, you know, did this, this route and, and played these shows or wrote this kind of music. And then they fell back into what they ultimately wanted to do. And so right. I encourage someone like to just don't be afraid to take an opportunity if it comes to you, even if that means, you know, starting out at a bar for 10 people and playing shows. I mean, look, I've played for literally just bartenders and waitresses <laughs> at a bar before, like that happens, but you know what? It helped me hone in on my craft. And so right. like, uh, that's my, my advice is just, is, is, is don't be afraid to like take risks. Um, with you know with the stuff you're doing but also take opportunities um that, that come to you yeah and i think like going back to this, the songwriting example like i'm not a songwriter but i've i've had a couple on the show enough to learn that like for those that are learning how to songwrite it doesn't have to be a, a charting 100 song every time you put a pen down to a paper like it doesn't have to be perfect like it's more just like practice makes perfect and like even if it is a two minute song or if it's one verse like just keep practicing it and i feel like it's it's like a sport you know every practice doesn't have to be you know your uh your game style of play like it can be you know you know a b effort or a c even sometimes a c effort like we were all i mean you played sports i know you i know you've had those practices like it's always gonna get down to it's gonna it's gonna end out you know okay at the end i think dude you should you should see my catalog of songs. <laughs> how many how many misses there are but like you know i i think you're right i mean i think i think even more so than like you know, just like a B or C level effort. I think it's also like, yes, you go in and you, and you can, you can try you know, write, write your butt off and like yeah. and really be invested in the right, but know that not every song is going to be a hit. I mean, there's no baseball player that bats a thousand or remotely close to it. Right. Yeah, Bad 300. You're in a hall of fame. So exactly. And I look at that the same way in songwriting. Like I, you know, I might write 50 songs and there's only a, a handful of them that are, are worthy of, you know, a recording, but like those 50 songs helped get me to the three songs that I really care about or what, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. Do you, do you see yourself as like an, especially as an independent artist, like, getting hung up on like what songs you want to release or what songs that you want to take off the catalog and bring in, bring on to Spotify or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I, I think that's every artist I think goes through that struggle of like finding the song because right. You're, you're battling, uh, you know, commercial success. Like you have to look at songs and be like, all right, is this something that like is really catchy and like people are yeah. going to come out to and also balance that with, is this what I want to say and who I am and like the right song at the right time kind of thing. And sometimes those intersect perfectly. And like the song is, is the commercial one. And it's also exactly what you want. Other times it might be a little bit different. And I think like also deciding to like, it, you know, it's a very single driven industry right now, just because CDs aren't really a thing anymore. And so right. um, I think that sometimes is like, is hard to, is like as an artist putting out like an EP or an album, it's like, all right, there's a lot of great songs that you really like and you've narrowed down, but then it's like, which one out of those, you know, which one you wrote 500 songs and you chose uh, 10 for the album 
And then which one out of those 10 is going to be the one that you really want to pump? You know what I mean? Right. Or it's, yeah, it's like the one or two. Cause I feel like you're so right. Like the, it's like, you know, so-and-so releases a single, then it's like, okay, like, is, is this going to be an album soon? Or is this just like a single? And then it's like two weeks from now, they do another, like, okay, they're planning some. And then the 12 song album drops on new music Friday. You're like, Whoa, I wasn't ready for this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, man, I think it's tough. I think it's tough. Like I will say though, as if you're an artist and you, you know, are deciding you have too many songs, that's, that's a good problem. To have, yeah. You know? Right. Uh, the flip side of it is like, all right, you know, are these, are these really good enough or do we need to go back in and write, you know, have 30 to 50 more rights. And I think like, you're always going to be critical of yourself. Like I'm always, every time I put out a song, I'm like, dang, that was good. But like, I can do better. But I think that's just like the natural process of like who we are as artists like it's it's an evolution right like the songs i put out in three months are going to be like the next phase of where i want to go so exactly exactly all right so i promise you some easier funner questions here so yeah. we'll, we'll end with some rapid fire and i tell this to every because we do this with mostly we do this with mostly artists uh these these are rapid fire but there will be follow-up questions and if you have to think about it this is a podcast so by all means uh, feel free to think about it <laughs> i love all it right, so do you remember the first song you ever sang Yes, I do. It was I Won't Give Up by Jason Mraz. Oh, that is a great, great song, huh? Yeah, that is a bop. Um, I think I think I was like in that my first song that I ever sang in front of a crowd. Um, this was a sixth grade birthday party. Um, shout out Sophia, this is your birthday. Um, it was karaoke and I did I did Don't Stop Believing. Um yeah, that great. was a that was a ballsy choice, but I did it. Uh, that, was, that's it was, up there man there, there's some high notes a plus effort and uh i'm yours was like the one that i always love to to sing yeah okay yeah yeah that was that was my follow-up if i had yeah. two, if i had a two-song game much much easier uh easier chorus easier notes i think right exactly <laughs> then don't stop believing for sure um so who is the dream musician that you would want to collaborate with next wow that's a great question um I will say there's no uh, wrong answer. So don't worry. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably, probably someone like Sam Hunt. Um, I, I think he's fantastic. And maybe in the, in the pop space, like a post Malone or Justin Bieber. I love like, or even John Bellion is like, Oh, you're okay. 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 Right now. I don't know how that would go down, but definitely would love to like, at least get in a room and, and try something. Do, do you do you like uh like quinn 92 too i feel like you're in that in that range there a little bit yes yeah yeah he's he's awesome man i actually saw him live in nashville like three years ago loved it great show i, I saw him at house of blues in boston in 2019 still one of my still one of my top five favorite shows i've ever seen for sure oh yeah that's it great was, it was sick all right uh can you describe your first performance in one word uh, wow uh shocking okay. uh, uh shocking for two reasons uh shocking at first because i didn't know that i was gonna play my dad okay. my yeah. this mike did not tell me and the guy called me up so shocking in that aspect of like not wanting to do it initially and then also shocking in the sense of like i was shocked as to how much i actually enjoyed it and wanted to keep doing it yeah so was this where you performed jason Mraz? i was yep oh okay all right awesome all right so who is your biggest musical inspiration? Love that. Um, yeah, wow. Okay. Um, 
you're you're thinking back you're like jared you should have sent me these questions before i know i was like jared, I, I should have prepared right <laughs> no that's a that's a great question dude i mean i think there's a couple things like from songwriting like i think like the shane mcanally and ashley gorley in town is like the stuff that they write is unbelievable so i look up to them as writers um in terms of artists it's anything from like john mayer to uh to bieber to like uh the sam hunt like jordan davis brett young is a huge inspiration to me so like the, the, those guys that are kind of blurring cro- are not crossing the line between pop and country i like that i like that all right do you have a dream venue uh red rocks oh nice that was easy that was easy that's like that's like mostly in everyone's top five if not the number one i was gonna say if that's not if that's not in your top five you got a problem that that venue is sweet yeah there, the, a lot of the nashville people like the um uh oh, this is really bad for a person who's interviewed a lot of people from nashville what's like the uh, uh something what's the big thing out there what's your big venue out there uh the ryman yes ryman auditorium yeah for- a lot of people say that a lot of people say Red Rock. I thought you were going to maybe say like TDR or, or, or like Fenway, but. <laughs> uh, that's definitely up there. Uh, TDR for sure. Yeah. yeah. But Red Rock, there's just something about it. It's obviously like one of the coolest things to perform at. And then obviously see a concert at. It's incredible. Dude, I've like only seen photos and I'm already, I'm already like, wow. You're like, you're like, I'm sitting yeah. on stage. So, on stage. Yeah. So in person <laughs> like can only be better. I love that. All right. Who, okay. This is different than who you'd want to collaborate with. Who would you want to tour with next? Um, I would love to hit the road with like a, like, like a Brett Young or Kane Brown. Um, He's coming to Boston and in, with, with uh, Chase, not Chase Rice. I think maybe uh, Chase? he's, I know uh, I just saw the poster for it. Oh my God. It's like this. It's like later this fall, right? Yeah. 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 Come out to Boston. We'll go. Dude. All right. I'm going to fly up. All right. We'll go. We'll go. All right. <laughs> perfect perfect all right so dylan brady he wanted me to ask you this i i tried facetiming him seeing if he had any questions for you this is the only one he had for you uh he wants to know how did you get so tall (laughs) what a great question uh i i ate a lot of uh i I ate my wheaties in high school um i dude i'm telling you uh between junior year or sophomore and junior year of high school i grew nine inches I, it was it was unbelievable. I was eating like five meals a day, uh, and like actually could like feel myself growing. Oh, growing pains! Growing the, pains! Oh, the worst, dude. The worst. The it worst. Was, it was a lot, but uh, you know, here I am, and I'm ha- I, I like being tall. But there you uh, go. There you go. There you I, go. I just there you go, Dylan. Just I, eat. I'm gonna stop. I, like I still got a half inch this past year. Like <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Dylan. Eat your Wheaties. That's how you do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> did you did you go to a private school in boston or, or in uh in Concord? No, I, I just went to my public high school okay because i was gonna say the school your mom must have hated you if you had to go like go through all the new school uniforms every year with your growth oh yeah luckily yeah. like there wasn't any uniforms in high school like you wear whatever you want so i you know we it was more just like all right chris is now a uh extra large and yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> i love it awesome all right if you weren't living in nashville where would you be living today um probably boston okay okay so kind of follow up to that what do you miss most about boston um i miss i miss the sports uh and just the atmosphere of like being at a celtics or red sox game i miss the beaches a lot nashville's so landlocked like yeah you got to either go like south to alabama or like east to like north carolina or something so the beaches and then uh, obviously like family and friends and those that yeah just too grown up 
Were you were you a Cape Cod person or were you like North Shore or South Shore? Uh, more Cape Cod. I've actually a lot like a lot of venues down there I've played at as well. And, I, you know, I've had, my family and, and friends have been down there quite a bit. So do you have a favorite, do you have a favorite part of the arm? Um, I love like the Chatham area. That's where we spent a lot of time in Harwich. Um, there's actually a, a venue there called uh, the Port and Ember. They're like two like outdoor kind of patio bar restaurant live music venues. Yeah, and they're awesome. So yeah, see, like I'm more of the beach guy. Like, so I really like like Wellfleet and Churro. It's yeah. just like, way laid back. Okay, way so you laid back. to the beachcomber up there. Or, uh, oh yeah, yeah, oh I, yeah, yeah. That beach is dude. Those those dunes are insane. It's <laughs> you can get workout climbing up those things too absolutely absolutely that's yeah exactly that's my workout every time i go i go i love it that's awesome all right um the one i will say the one thing i do not like about boston is the allergies i don't know if <laughs> I'm, this is a very big personal problem i'm dying right now with the allergies in my oh oh so bad my my car is covered in tree pollen I might have to wait another month until they, they die down or something. And then I'll come back. You just got to load up on, I, I do, I do, a, I do a Zyrtec in the morning and a Benadryl at night. And we're good to go. Sort of. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> All right. So we'll kind of wrap up with these last two questions here. What is the biggest goal for Chris coming with, uh, with as we approach the half halfway point of 2021? Yeah. I, th- uh, Biggest goal is I'm really excited about this new music I have coming out. Um, I'm working on a project, uh, potentially a, a larger project than just a single. And I, I just want to get, I want to get that out to people. Um, I, it's some of the most like personal uh, and just music that feels the most me. And so my biggest goal is to get that out. Um, and then also to hopefully hit the road, you know, later summer in the fall when hopefully things are safe, uh, and, and play for all the folks that have decided to either support me in the past year or have supported me since day one. Well, I'll be there. You can punch in my ticket. When you're coming out here, let me know. We'll, we'll, we'll do it. <laughs> I love it. All right. Last question. And you're not getting out of this one. And it's, it is a little bit of a harder one, but we do ask every single guest this question. Chris, if you were to write your autobiography today, what would be the title of it and why? Wow. What a, what a question. If I had to write my own autobiography, oh my god! Oh man! Uh... <laughs> well, give me, give me like five seconds to think on this right here. No, you have all the time in the world. <laughs> the last question, right? This is the last. We're done after this. You're gonna like. It's like the podcast just goes dead for like an hour. <laughs> and I answer it. It's Thank like you, Chris, close, right? <laughs> um, no, I would say, uh, I would say, you know, uh, followed his heart you know following the heart or something of that you know because like you know there are a lot of things that I was I fell into and I've decided to just continue to pursue what I love the most and um you know I, I think I I have passion for what I do I have passion for the people that I I care about um and so yeah I don't know I love that answer great answer you did a great job thank you thank you Whew. toughest question of the day. that was, that was <laughs> easy that was easy we've had trust me we've had longer answers you know a longer time between answers we've had We've had people nail it right away. It's like they like, I don't usually send the questions beforehand. So it, like some of them either are like in the process of writing it or. <laughs> That's funny. Well, you know what? I'm going to stay up like all night now just thinking like. Yeah, not, you're going you're gonna, you're like, to text what, me. What's the chapter like, names, all that stuff, right? And you're going to text me after you. Like, wait, 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 wait. Can we, can we hop back on? I'm going to re-answer that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, Chris, 
thank you so much for coming on, man. This has been an absolute blast. I wish you all the best with the rest of 2021. We're going to Stagecoach in 2022. We're going to go to Kane Brown. So we have a packed um, packed year coming up, the two of us. It's so. not, I mean, I don't know how much more room there is on my calendar. It seems like you and I are just going to be, be crushing. Yeah, I got to text some people and, and shift some things around. But, I mean, I'm in, man. Let's do it. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, dude, thanks so much for having me. It was it was a blast talking to you, and uh, let's do it again soon, okay? Let's do it again. Awesome, man. All right, I'll talk to you later. All right, bye. So a big thank you and a big shout-out to Chris Rudiger for coming on this week's episode of the podcast. So excited for what's next for Chris. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, uh, and this was announced post-recording this interview, Chris has some great shows lined up here in New England this summer. Uh, actually in July. So be sure to go check that out if you are in the New England area. Uh, Chris is coming to a bunch of Cisco breweries, um, uh, Night Shift Brewery here in uh, Everett, and a bunch of shows in the New England area. So be sure to go check him out. If you are into country music or if you're just a fan of Chris or a fan of the show, go stream him on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you listen to your music, he is there. I'll leave links to all things Chris Rudiger in the description of this week's podcast for you to check out. As always, thank you guys so, so much for all the support on the show. This would not be possible without your guys' continued support. So if you guys like what you're hearing and you want to see more of the interviews and some snippets from the guests that we have on the show, be sure to go check us out on Instagram at normalguylazyeye. As always, I can't thank you guys enough. I know I say every episode, but it seriously means a lot. So without further ado, I will see you all next Wednesday.